You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guests on this episode of Talking Taiwan are Eileen Lin Gutier and Rola Zheng. Both are Taiwanese-American women with black partners and are parents of Blasian kids. Eileen is a relatively new parent with a two-year-old daughter and Rola has two grown children who are 19 and 20 years old. I thought it would be a good idea to bring together these two women at very different stages of the parenting journey to have a conversation about their perspectives on raising Blasian children. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thank you. Thanks. Great. Before we get into the whole talk about parenting, I wanted to ask you, when you and your partner first got involved, how did each of your parents or families and close friends react? So uh, for me, um, my family didn't take it well in, at first. Um, my, especially my, my father and my mother were very angry at me for um, wanting to introduce um, a partner who is black. Um, and so they did not take it well. And, but slowly through occasions of forced engagement where I would invite my then boyfriend to um, brunches, to our family gatherings. Um, um, I think after a year of fights and tears and, and um, smiles, I think everything in the end kind of worked out. They got to know him better as a person and finally had accepted our relationship uh, after a year. But I do have um, relatives who um, still don't talk to us anymore um, because of my relationship with my, uh, my partner. Wow. So it took a whole year. Um, what, did, what do you think it was that changed that was the turning point? I think it's really, I think time helps um, to bridge gaps in some way. Um, I remember the first couple meetings where my mother couldn't look him in the eyes um, to um, where there was a funny incident where he was helping um, our family paint our fence and the spray exploded and I felt my mother um, change of attitude um, as she was so shocked with what she saw and probably felt that he was willing to sacrifice for the family. Um, her attitude has changed since. Right. I remember you telling me the story about how the can of paint exploded all over your now husband's face. And that really broke the ice. I think it's a it's a it's a series of things. I don't think it's just one incident, but having that chance to kind of introduce him um, to our family, getting to lo- know him better, allowing them to get to know him better. I think um, they eventually get to know him as a person and not um, someone who um, they typically think all the stereotypes about black people, which is lazy, um, poor, um, all these horrible stereotypes. They def- my, I felt like my parents definitely had that in the very beginning. But now they love him more than they love me. So um, I think it was quite a transformation for my uh, parents to, to kind of experience all that. Thanks for sharing that, Eileen. 
Uh, Rola, do you want to share about what happened with you? Um, I can, um, I, I'll just mention a few things, but in general, I just want to say that, you know, my parents were polite um, always. They, they didn't necessarily approve, but I, I'll just have to say that there are a lot of things, there are a lot of factors that, you know, were, that were around the situation that they had issue with. So um, I'm sure race was part of it, but I don't really think it was the main part. Um, and over time, I agree with Eileen, over time, I mean, basically you just see how a person is a committed person, how they're a hard worker, you know, like all those human traits, you know, over 20 years, right? Like you just, I guess maybe even just get used to it. But I will say there was an immediate moment where um, my daughter was born where like any anything, any wall, any, you know, obstacle that might have been there, it just melted anything else because everything became less important than that person, you know, their flesh and blood, you know, it didn't matter. Like race was completely irrelevant at that point. I'm sure it really makes a big difference, actually. Um, once you have kids, um, it probably changes the situation a lot, as Rola mentioned. Um, before you had kids, did you think about the challenges that you have raising a biracial child or the challenges that your child might have navigating the world? Not for me. I actually get um, um, friends and, and actually people that I didn't know reach out to me uh, because they know my story. Um, and I... I always kind of share that I didn't really see us as a interracial couple per se, but it's just, you know, two individuals who are very passionate about um, social impact, environmental impact. And that's how we met. We met through um, working together at a nonprofit. And so um, of course, um, throughout the, period that we've been dating where I learned a lot about what it's like being black um, and, and as we start living together of course we start to see habits um, that are very different from each other and why certain things um, make sense you know for example um, he would always dress up whenever we go out even when we just go to grocery stores whereas me I would just go in sweats or, or just not even, you know, don't even talk about makeup or anything like that. But he will always be very well-dressed. And again, I think for a reason um, that um, for a Black man, um, I think it's something that he always kind of grew up being told that he needs to dress well um, and uh, even just, you know, taking an airplane or just going to grocery store. So, um, so I never really think that much per se except really experiencing people staring at us or you know some of the challenges that I mentioned earlier with my family um, you know having our hard time in the beginning accepting him um, as my my husband and so so I haven't really thought that much about having what it would like raising biracial kids my my I remember my mom you know when she was angry at us and she mentioned that um, she said something while she was angry. So I, I don't think she meant it, but she said, 
who knows what your kids are going to look like. They might turn out green. <laughs> and so I just remember that very clearly. And when my, my daughter was born um, to, you know, to the grandmother, uh, she's like the cutest thing in the world. And so she didn't turn out green. She turned out like a normal baby. <laughs> um, but um, it wasn't until uh, after my child was born did I start having these waves of actualization on my role as a, a mother of, uh, of, for, for a black kid? Yeah, Rolla, you want to share? I was just going to say, I, I'm going to agree with Eileen. Like, you don't think about things like that before you have your kids. But I, I will say that I have been very intentional about, you know, raising my kids and they do happen to be biracial. So that became, you know, part of all of my choices that I made for them. So, so yeah, so I guess I was just mentioned that, you know, when, when you are raising a child, there are so many things to think about. Um, and so like, you know, we didn't think about it before, but now that, you know, now that they're here, when you start to consider the entirety of, like, what you have to do for them, it, it becomes a part of, but it, that's what it is. It's a part. It's not, it's not the only thing you think about. Yeah. yeah, so that leads to my next question is, like, now that you have kids, do you worry about how your kid is going to be perceived based or treated based on their skin color alone? So I'll just start, uh, I'll just start, my kids are already grown, so I really don't have kids anymore, I have adults, so, um, so yeah, I'll leave it at that, and then we'll see how Eileen feels, you know, maybe questions. I definitely worry about how she's being perceived, um, as I, as all these different events of, like, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others, um, as we see them sort of uncover in front of our eyes, I do question a lot about um, safety. I question a lot about um, when this happens to my kids, how should I react um, as a mother? How can I help them navigate this kind of situation, knowing that I can't protect them forever? Um, and so I, I start really thinking about um, sort of defining my role as a mother. Um, and also, at the same time, it's really scary because my husband literally told me that one day she's going to be called the N-word, and we just have to prepare for that. And that, that hit me pretty hard. Um, and so I'm definitely preparing myself right now as, as she's still young. Um, and then in the future, I definitely want to be there for her. Well, it's good that you guys have uh, frank discussions like that. Um, for you, Eileen, and then Rola, looking back, um, have you had any awkward experiences or reactions from people like when you're out in public with your kids and like, and how do you handle it when it happens? Um, I'm sure like almost all Blazer moms will get this. Um, we get questioned if we were the nanny. <laughs> Rola, did you have that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, I, so there, there were, um, times where I was being questioned if I was the nanny. Um, so it, it's interesting that, you know, some people will comment, oh, you look um, a little different. Um, she has curly hair, whereas I have straight hair. And, um, and so um, 
that's what I've gotten so far. I think have you know living in the age of COVID nineteen, we haven't been able to go out that much. But that's uh, what I've gotten so far. I'm sure Rola has a lot more stories than I do. Well, I was just going to say that um, how do you handle it? Uh, my the answer that I came up with is, you know, you handle it with grace. Um, for the most part, at least in my experience, it's been nonviolent. You know, it hasn't been, you know, like anyone wanting to fight about it. So then it's just a matter of, you know, misunderstanding or lack of under- knowledge of, you know. And but I, I think one thing to make note of is that there are some people, and and that doesn't happen often. Like probably like one percent of all the people that you you know um, interact with. But they exist where sometimes the, they will say, oh, my God, I knew that was your child because you look exactly like her or, you know, they look exactly like you. And, and that's where you you it tells you something about this person. Like, here's somebody who's actually looking past race and looking at the person, um, you know, versus maybe somebody who really just sees things superficially, and obviously this can't be your child because you're, you know, not the same color. So, so that that becomes, I don't know, an indicator too of like who you're, who who's standing in front of you right now. And I think what Rola just said reminded me of my friend's story. I have a girlfriend who's black. Um, Ray was raising. Uh, she was a single mother for a biracial child. Um, and at that time, she lived in Charlottesville, Virginia. And she went to a grocery store. This is in the 90s. So, a white woman tried to take her child away from her. Her own child. I just cannot fathom what it would be like um, to be in that situation because someone questioned that the child is not yours simply because the child is more, is lighter skin than you. This could happen to us, you know? And again, it, it's not something that you can prepare for it per se, but you kind of have to. Thanks for sharing that. Could you talk a little bit about how you and your partner co-parent your kids or um, maybe Rolo could give some feedback also? I I was going to say, I left that question blank, (laughs) but I'll listen and then maybe I'll chime in. (laughs) I think uh, both my my, my husband is Haitian American and I'm Taiwanese American. And so both of us growing up in immigrant families, um, we are pretty um, aware of who we are or, and also strong in terms of our self-identity. And so that's how, how we plan to raise our kids. And we, you know, my, for example, my, my parents live around us and they help us with, with raising our, our daughter. And so, you know, I, I love that um, ability to kind of um, allowing her to learn more about Taiwanese people, Taiwanese food and culture, um, the languages, um, you name it. And as we were choosing uh, child care service, we are very intentional to pick um, a child care provider who's Black. Um, and so, um, so these are the things where two of us will bring two perspectives and will ensure that our daughter is being exposed to both cultures as much as we can. 
so that's kind of how we um, kind of work on our parenting, um, you know, for our biracial child so far. I, I take that back. I actually didn't leave it blank. <laughs> I just said, you know, first of all, Franz and I, we have a great co-parenting relationship. We're very different from each other. Um, and and so we, we really treat it like a partnership. Um, I think that we teach through example, like the values that we want them to have. And since my values and his values aren't, they, they, our priorities don't always align, um, it, it kind of provides, I guess, a well-rounded um, exposure for them. Um, but I, I guess you were asking specifically about about the Taiwanese uh, versus the black. I didn't really address that in my answer. Um, again, I'm going to go back, you know, every child has the needs that they have. And so you, you just, as parents, you support the children with what they need. Um, we as parents, we will cause harm to our children, you know? And so when like one parent causes harm, it's been very useful for like the other parent to, you know, to support the child with, um, you know, with how they react or interact. And I think both Franz and I have like been on either both sides of that equation overall. And I don't know, I guess when I'm raising my child, I didn't really, it, it races is relevant and it's every day. But when you consider your choices and you consider, you know, what you want to do, like for us, I don't think that was, that was in our, um, directive at least as a priority yeah Rola just to clarify for the audience I think I know what you mean by that but can you clarify what you mean by the parent will do harm to the to the child yeah that's hard and I, I, nobody wants to admit what they do or you know I don't want to call out what you know maybe the other parent has done but I mean we've all been children and are we, we know that we've been hurt by things that our parents have done. So I'll, I'll speak to it from that perspective. And so now that you're the parent, don't think that you are immune from that. <laughs> you are going to do it too um, because you, your parents did it to you. Um, and so <laughs> that, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's an interesting point. Um, having a partner that's black and then your kids are Blasian, I'm sure you've uh, had to think a lot about like the black issues. Eileen, as Eileen alluded to, she learned a lot, you know, probably even before um, she and her partner got married. Um, so how did you, did you go through a process where you kind of programmed yourself to be aware of the black issues or like to take the initiative to educate yourself about that? Like, how did you deal with that? I certainly learned a lot uh, through my husband. Um, and a lot of that is, is personal experience. And I think that's what sticks with, with, with me. Um, I think with history, we can always go back um, and read stuff um, and learn from it. But with personal experiences, um, that's where that sense of injustice and perhaps anger, perhaps the, the drive of wanting um, change, um, that's kind of where it came from for me. And so kind of learning some of the ways that um, he was being treated as a, a Black man, um, you know, whether it's unfair pay um, from employees to, 
you know, encounters with police to how he needed to conduct himself in front of uh, coworkers um, or friends. Um, it just there, there's a lot of like adjustments that he needs to do um, simply because he's a black man. And I also have encountered a lot of incidents myself as well, racist incidents. Um, and of course, nothing compared to him. But I think hearing from what he went through really made me feel um, even more like, like I have to speak out. Like I can't just um, sit around and, and accept that it's okay. Um, we have to fight for racial justice. You know, those are the senses of um, feelings that I'm getting, um, I'm feeling um, ever since I, I met him. And so, um, and also like being an immigrant myself, there are certain words, for example, um, like ghetto, um, like, you know, um, urban or street, like those are the types of words where I didn't know the nuances in the beginning. And I, when I used it, like he would help correct me. And now I know better, right? So English is my third language. And so um, I felt like even from little things like that to um, how he translated into his um, his personal and professional life and things that he's encountered, I think um, I've learned a lot from him. And, and of course, from my friends, but I think with my husband, we have conversations like this where he really opened up my eyes and allowed me to, to learn a lot. And I think what I would do is to take that and help raise our kids that way. Uh, Rola, do you want to add anything to this? Yeah, actually, um, since, since you approached me and since I've met Eileen and we talked, I've been really thinking a lot about, you know, I mean, you know, like I, I was like, oh, let me study the questions because I have to think about what my answers are because they're not really simple questions, actually. And so I just came up with this. I just realized this, that, you know, um, Felicia, you know, the way that I was raised, you know, basically I was being pushed in a stroller um, out at demonstrations, you know, like my, my family, you know, my parents have been extremely active with um, the Taiwan independence movement since before I was born. And they maintain that involvement and engagement for my entire life. Um, up until now, even, you know, it hasn't really, really ended. And so like, my sense of I guess social justice, which I think is very interesting, Eileen, that, you know, you, that's your work. Um, that's not my work, but it's kind of my life. It's been, you know, the principles upon which I was raised, you know, from, from the moment, from moments even before I was born, you know, like that's kind of the environment and, you know, the fertile soil that, that fed my whole worldview. And so like blackness in the United States is a natural, um, it, it fits naturally into that analysis of, you know, deconstructing power and, and understanding, you know, what's fair and what's just, you know. So like when you've been raised with that sort of like principle from, from almost like when I could talk, you know, like language that I heard and, you know, before I could even formulate my own words, it was all about, you know, like injustice and how, you know, like power basically 
abuses those with less power. And, and so I, I, I feel like for me, you know, race, at least the way that it's been played out, let me put it this way. I don't take any rights for granted. You know, everything, we have to be grateful for all of it. You know, from the moment, any freedom that we had in the United States, you know, my parents were grateful because they understood what it was like in Taiwan. You know, so we never took any of it like, oh, well, we're supposed to have these rights. You know, and so like my approach to my life, my approach to my children's life, there was never one one of entitled sense of like, oh, well, they're supposed to be treated this way or they're supposed, because I knew better. I knew already, you know, from the get-go, from, from, the, from the jump that, that in this world, things are not fair. And, and one of the things that the Taiwan independence movement, at least the founders of it in the 70s, did is they made a lot of connections with um, movements from other parts of the world. You know, like, the, you know, Cuba is an island, and so they had this, this dream that they were going to get a boat, you know, and go land on the east side of Taiwan and go through the mountains and take down the KMT, you know, and they, they were real. They were serious about that stuff. You know, they started, you know, somebody was researching boats. Another person was like looking for, you know, training, gun training, you know, they learned how to shoot a gun. And I mean, they were young and idealistic, but they really believed in all of that. So like, I just always had this sense of, that things are not fair in general and anything that we do have is is you know we have to be be grateful for and so overall i don't feel that there was a there was any um new understanding that came around race you know like um the, these these um civil rights leaders were um i guess icons of my my dad's generation you know like my dad when he arrived in LA he walked into the Watts riot like the airport was shut down because they were rioting in Los Angeles so it's almost like our entire experience of the United States was is been couched in you know so I don't know if that answers the question well I really enjoy hearing <laughs> that because it, it, it's kind of like it places a, a dichotomy of, of my experience because I grew up in Taiwan um, and yeah. I remember my textbooks in, in, you know, in my middle school um, were mostly focused on China. I remember like, like 80% of the chapters on my geography textbook was memorizing the rivers, the rail, railroads, you know, all the geography of, of China versus there's like three chapters on Taiwan. And so I remember going home and asking my parents, like, why are we learning all these things about China and not only three chapters on Taiwan? Why is that? And I recall my parents told me to just be quiet and don't question anything because they live under that white terror and they believe that if I question things, something bad is going to happen to me. I'm going to get thrown in jail. My dad was at the, the Kaohsiung uh, incident uprise 
And he didn't tell me until later um, when I when I was in my 30s that he was part of that movement because he was afraid that by mentioning it, it would encourage me to be part of the independence movement. But what's interesting was that when I moved here um, as a teenager, I started learning Taiwan's history from American third person's point of view. And I realized a lot of history that I learned in Taiwan were simply propaganda. And so um, going from that to becoming a supporter of, you know, Taiwan's independence um, and recognition on international stage has like become my passion. And, and I kind of wish my parents had told me about it. Um, I kind of wish my parents taught me more about race, uh, more about social justice. I didn't get anything um, from them about these topics that I really care about, but they're just trying their best as parents, right? Um, so I just love hearing your story and how that kind of translated into your experience. Well, apparently they it did translate down to you, maybe not openly, but I mean in your work, right? Like, and and your current involvement. So I they think- were very against me working nonprofit because they think that nonprofit doesn't make enough money, <laughs> and so I went against their. But you still cared <laughs> enough, you know, and that right, had right, to have true. been taught somehow. You know, it came down through them. Um, you know, that, that you care about these issues, that they're important. Is your family from Kaohsiung? Yes. Oh, okay. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I grew up speaking Taiwanese, but I remember my cousins, you know, in Taipei will make fun of me, um, saying that, like, you know, like, it's not as cool to speak Taiwanese, you know, like Mandarin sounds cooler. And I just remember growing up with all of that and, and not understanding why, um, not understanding mm -hmm. the context because that mm -hmm. important part of history was not taught in my textbook and was not being articulated to me from my parents. And so um, discovering that at an um, older age, um, and you were already here, right? I was in already here, yes. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going back to, to see if I can remember the original question. The question was, did you have to program or reprogram yourself to be aware of black issues? So there was no real reprogramming. But you didn't need to be reprogrammed because you were already programmed before. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it has to be adjusted, though, because and I will acknowledge that there are so many things, you know, personal experience that you don't know. You never I mean, here's 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 a, a trait about privilege is that when you have it, you don't know it and you don't pay any attention to those who don't have it. You know, this is a trait. And, and as an Asian person in America, you know, you don't have as many privileges as like white people, right? And so we see so clearly the privileges that we don't have that we see white people have. We don't see any of the privileges that we have, you know, that others may not have. You know, and I see that amongst white people too, you know, and I find it so annoying that how, how come you can't see it it's right in front of your nose you could totally just you know just just like look down a little bit and you could see it right but 
you just, for whatever reason, it's a human trait, we don't. And so, like, acknowledging that, you know, they're, you know, having these children, right, um, you do kind of get, I'll, I'll give an example. My, my children right now, um, yesterday they drove off. Um, they're going on this cross-country road trip. And, you know, last week we were, you know, making sure that the car is working, you know, doing a final tune-up, getting the oil change. And we found that, you know, the bulb in our taillight was was out. And that's easy to fix. It's like a $5 bulb. But the reason why it was out is because there was a crack in the taillight. And so the water, the moisture gets in, and, you know, and so the, the, the light bulbs don't last as long. And so, you know, in the past, I've just sort of like, whatever, $5 bulb, whatever, right? But given this consciousness that we're talking about here, I was like, no, 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 no choice, you know, I, I don't want it even to be an issue. So, you know, like I paid $300 because it was a rush job. I didn't have time to go buy used parts and go, you know, whatever and replace it myself. You know, I'm working Monday through Friday. You know, I don't have time to, to repair the car right now. So we had to pay $300, which is about three times more than I would have paid if I could have just gone to myself to got, you know, to get get the parts because I mean there's tons of extra Toyota Camry parts because people you know they junk their cars but the taillights are still good but yeah you can't you know the crack taillight I'm not doing it you know and that's a consciousness that's an awareness and if it were if my kids were Asian I probably wouldn't have cared right in fact if they were Asian I would be like yeah five dollar bulb you know make it last <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Rola, that reminds me, you had once told me about a story about a broken taillight and your daughter, right? It was, uh, the bulb was out. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Same taillight, same car, yeah. The bulb was out, probably because of the moisture. <laughs> we didn't fix it. We replaced the bulb is what we did. But we were home, like we were in Baltimore. And I, I think I was still trying to get used to it. Um, we go to the beach. We live in Maryland, right? Like everybody, that's like the annual pilgrimage. You go to the beach. Um, and Eastern Maryland is not the same thing as Baltimore or even D.C., you know, Baltimore, D.C., that area area in terms of how people think about things and so like when you drive through eastern shore eastern maryland um things are a little bit different and so they had this thing called the natural resources police and they stopped my children they were there with their friends for um for a, a tail you know the tail light being out yeah and it's just funny because I've lived here for 20 years. We go to the beach every year. I've probably had, you know, my taillight out, maybe whatever. I don't know. But the point is that I've never been stopped by natural resources police. And any besides which, what's the natural resources police doing stopping someone for a broken taillight? It's an excuse, right? And so... Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of experiential things that I that I had to learn, and you know, just through. Um, and, and I know we're going to talk about that. Later. Your daughter was the one that was question. driving, and she got stopped for the taillight. She got stopped for the taillight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was driving with mm -hmm. three of her friends. Mm -hmm. So they were just like a car full of young black, you know, young young folk. You know, right. and and yeah. did you ever? Um, prepare your kids for experiences like this when they're young? Like, did you think about this, Rola, and uh, 
you know, preparing them for any encounters they may have like this? No, I have to say no at all because I didn't want them to be self-conscious about it and I didn't want them to be preemptive about these events from happening. But one thing that I did teach them, and I think it's worked so far, but they are also still very young adults, you know, 1920. Um, I have a story around that too. Um, I, I've taught them just to be mindful of everyone, you know, like to read every, every situation and every person and to just be, to know who you are, you know, to be confident and know that no matter where you are, you are who you are and you have a right to be there. You know, and so um, I just have a story. I, I love the story. It, it just happened yesterday, actually. We were telling a story about, um, so they're, they're on this trip, they're going to be camping mostly, right, because of the quarantine, because of COVID. I feel that everyone will be safer when they're outside and not inside. So they're basically camping their way around the country. Um, and so we did talk about, like, okay, not all campsites are created equal, um, and once we were in West Virginia, and there were two campgrounds there, and we camped at one of them. They were both private campgrounds, and um, something happened. We, we, we take these canoe trips and uh, down the river, and we've had all kinds of incidents happen on these canoe trips. But on this particular one, we went past the, the pullout point. So we were like, we went double the distance. And so, you know, we called delivery and they ended up saying, okay, well, you want to pull into this camp, this campsite. And when we pulled into this campsite, it was like pretty much like, um, like a Confederate trailer park is sort of like what it was like. And, you know, everybody was drinking beer. It was, it was a holiday weekend. And, you know, I had a, a group of, um, you know, we were a mixed race group, but I would say, you know, majority, actually, let's not, let's not even give any race. There, there's, it was only one white, one, two people who were white out of 10. So everyone else was something else. And so, like, there were a lot of people who were really uncomfortable in my group, you know, like, coming through this campground. And they really felt, and, and we definitely stood out, too, you know, moving through this space. Um, and so it was just a matter of, like, well, how do you feel walking through, you know, moving through this space? And for the most part, you know, like, so I only had one of my children there. Only Evans was there. Uh, Wisheng, I think at that time, was busy probably in Taiwan, actually, I think she was in Taiwan during that, during that camping trip. Um, Evans, he basically told me, he's like, he told me this yesterday. He said, you know what, though, honestly, I think I would have been fine camping there. Like if we had like booked a site and we were camping there, he said, I would have been okay. And this is what he said. He's like, because I know who I am. I know myself. And I know that, you know, I was just like, you know, get along you know I know how to get along with people that's basically what he said and I think that's sort of um, the preparation you know that that's my goal is to have my child feel that way even in spaces because like your parents right they have their ideas about who you are but I think given the opportunity human beings we're open to discovering something new and you have to have your child maybe be the one to introduce that I love that. I love how you taught them confidence and, and knowing who they are. Um, well, you try. 
<laughs> you don't know. No, it's wonderful. Instead of having them live in fear, having them feel like things are out there um, to to get them, you taught them confidence and, and ways to kind of persevere through whatever situation because of who you are. I think, I think it's great. I think it's something that um, I'm learning to kind of set that up for, you know, for my, for my kids as they get older. So yeah, that, that, that's, I love that story, Rola. But I want to, you know, I want to, there, there's just no, um, there, I don't want there to be any hubris around it. Like at the same time, you know, like there's that other side of me, you know, and, and you know, and I've had people tell me this, you know, like where they tell, they tell me like, you're, you're not preparing them for, you know, you're not preparing them and the world is going to teach them what you failed to teach them, you know, and, and that boy, that hit, that hit, that was a low blow, right? That, that was like a, a sucker punch to the gut, you know, right there, you know, and, you know, and I've been told that, you know, parent to parent. And, and I, I don't know how my kids feel. Like I said, they're very young, you know, very young, they're adults. They're very young adults. And like moving forward in the world, they are going to, you know, like you were saying about your daughter, you know, oh my gosh, this is going to happen one day. That's you, that's real, you know, like you have to realize that that's true. And, you know, there are experiences that they've had that have been traumatic. And, you know, like I can't help but to think if I somehow failed to prepare them properly for those traumatic interactions because of my hubris, right? Of like, oh no, you just have to be you and go out in the world and to hell with how other people see you or treat you, you know, like that doesn't, that's, that's not your all end all answer. <laughs> so I, I'm curious to know, Rola, um, the parent that said that to you, were they black or have you had black yeah. give you specific advice? Yes, they were black. They mm -hmm. had black children. Yeah, that leads me to another question, because since there's been a lot more um, talk about um, the black experience, and I had never heard of this before, but I've been hearing about more about the quote-unquote talk that black parents have to have with their kids, meaning, you know, if they ever get in a situation, if there's police involved or authority involved, like, what should you do? So I'm learning that black parents commonly have the talk with their kids. So it doesn't sound like you had the talk. And Eileen, have you thought about that? Can, can I say something about yes, that? Yes. So, um, I, I thought, because you, you gave me all these questions ahead of time, so I really you know thought, thought them through. Here's the thing about the talk. I can't have that talk, but I think the talk has to, has to happen. So like in my situation, I would need someone else to provide that. You know, I think it would be disingenuous for me, you know, to to have that talk because I I can't know what it's like. That's um, an interesting. But, but then, but then you have to make sure that there's someone there who can have that talk. Right. With, so their dad yeah. in this case. Right, and and with Eileen, Family yeah, friend, like yeah. your, yeah, I, I would. You know, you would. The obvious thing would be, you know, that her her father could. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Thank you. Definitely, I I do feel like 
there are a bunch of questions that already lined up that I feel like I need to help address. Um, you know, little things from hair to, you know, skin color, um, you know, what their school friends would say to police encounter, um, you name it, you know, these are definitely part of what I'm hoping working with my husband um, to help address um, these issues whenever we can. And going back to what Rola said, I feel like we can protect our kids forever. Um, there are certain things like sex, for example, um, parents don't teach you and then you somehow learn about it you know, from the street or whatever, from your older siblings or school, friends, you name it. Um, there's certain things they still have to discover themselves. Um, they have to experience in order to learn from it. And so I don't, there are certain things where I feel like, okay, you can prepare them, but there's also certain things that there's just no way that, you know, or for them to really understand why and how it happened and how they should respond without going through it, um, I just feel like just like a talk between parents and kids, they're not going to absorb everything either. And so that's why experience is so important. Right. And, and it's not something that I feel like parents can hundred percent cover. Um, and so as much as I can anticipate some potential challenges that my kids might perceive in the future, I am very well aware that I can't, my husband and I, we can't prepare them for everything. Right. And sometimes you have to take it as it go, go, comes along, right? Um, great. I'm curious, Rola, um, do you think your kids see themselves as more Asian or Black? I'm just curious. And then how do, have you ever had anyone say to your kids, um, you're not Asian enough? Because Unfortunately, you know, I think society always sees the blackness first. Yeah, I asked them, actually, because I couldn't speak for that. Um, but they both gave me the same answer. They said they identify as both, but they, the world sees them as black only. Um, and it really denies them any identity as being Asian at all right now anyway. Um, things will change, I think, over time. Um, I think they're already changing. I think you have, like, you know, Bruno Mars, and you have, um, gosh, I don't know every, all of the, um, Janae Aiko, um, Umi. There's, like, I think there are some K-pop stars that are, you know, that are, like, Blasian, and, you know, and I think it's starting to have, oh, doesn't um, that, that comedian guy who did Def Jam poetry, Def Poetry or whatever, I think his children are. Oh, no, his wife was Blasian. Neo What's his name? Russell, yeah, Neo. Russell Simmons, right? Okay. Russell, Russell Simmons. Yeah. Anyway, they're they're out there now, and they're. I think they identify. They're not out there saying they're all black only. You know, I think there's um, there is a. I mean, even Tiger Woods claimed his Asian, although he he was a little bit earlier, and so they really just like shut him down. They were like, oh, you just don't want to be black, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, they came for him hard when he tried to say that he was Asian. They were just like, see, nobody ever wants to be black. 
<laughs> like, but he was Asian. <laughs> like, what do you mean? But um, I, I kind of, I thought, so I thought about that further. And I'm thinking that when, when that happens too, it's, it is also, you know, the blackness, the one drop rule of, you know, blackness. But there's also another thing going on. And I think it plays into, in general, how Asian Asian, being Asian in America, like we don't have any status at all. We don't have any space at all. And so here we are trying to claim half a space out of this Malaysian, you know, identity. Of course, it's going to kind of get squelched in general, because even me, right? Like when, when Americans think of Asian, it's such a narrow narrow, narrow slit. Like they have this, this stereotypical, um, um, it's a trope, you know, like this idea that this, this is Asian. It's very, I, I don't know, you come up with the word, you know, but it's, it's just a very like narrow. The model minority, right? Like we Oh always, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I was even thinking more in terms of like in, in my, in my neighborhood, the, the Asian identity is really the takeout Chinese place, really, you know. Um, but but whatever it is, it's a very narrow idea. Or it's the immigrant, right? It's like when they think of Asia, they're really thinking of, you know, that Asian person with broken English, you know. Like back in my generation, it was um, Vietnam and Korea, right? Because <laughs> a lot of Americans had ex experience with Asianness through, you know, through the wars. Um, but no matter what, the Asian presence and identity in America is is very, very non-existent. And so, like, even I have been told in my lifetime that, oh, you're not Asian, you know, which is ridiculous because they're not talking about what I look like. They're talking about what they think is Asian in their mind, you know, in quotation marks, right? Um, um, just ge in general, you know, like, people – have yeah and also i don't know like in the in the in the summer when i swim outdoors every day i i get pretty tan and i don't know maybe it's the way i carry myself or the way i speak or you know like i don't speak with an asian you know i don't have like that um that timid maybe uh what's the word that they say like asian women um the submissive. Asian, submissive, yes. I'm not submissive. I'm, you know, there's like so many ideas that people think is Asian. And when you, there's no space for you to just be a person in general. So that's, that's how I think about, you know, my own children's Asian identity being not recognized. How, how would we expect that to even be, you know, accepted when, even me by not being a submissive Asian, you know, model minority isn't even accepted as like a, a thing. You know, I don't really exist in most people's minds. Um, but yeah, like in, in, in Baltimore city is definitely the takeout Chinese place. That's the, you know, I feel like as our next generations become more, you know, diversify with more sort of biracial, multiracial, individuals, I, I hope they will get a space to kind of be who they are and not having to choose one or the other. I hope that space can can happen for my kids. Um, unfortunately, I, I still feel like the current society 
does expect them to pick one or the other, or they only perceive one way or the other. So I'm hoping for better in our, for our next generations, just allowing them to be who they are. Rola, when you talk to your kids about this, um, did they talk about if people had reacted or said anything about them not being Asian or them not, in, not being able to be accepted as Asian, like how that made, made them feel? Did you touch on that at all? I mean, they, they're not, they, people don't see them as Asian. Right. They, even if they say it, it's denied them. But they feel that sometimes. reaction. How do they feel about that? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I didn't ask them that. <laughs> um, how did they deal with it if somebody said that to them? Or I don't know. If yeah, you- I don't think it bothers them. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I don't think it would bother them. But I also feel like... Um, yeah, I feel like taught them that whatever, like that stuff isn't really something that is a big deal, but I, I am concerned on a more, um, a deeper level of like what it means for them, you know, like, you know, I think I mentioned before, you know, like when I was in college, you know, Itasa was huge, right? Right, Felicia? Okay. <laughs> like the Taiwanese American students, the organization of like, you know, just holding space for being Taiwanese, you know, like that's a, that that's kind of like, there was no space for that when we were um, in college. Um, and, and actually, Eileen, a lot of, when a lot of our clubs, we started them, you know, there was some backlash. There was quite a bit of backlash, actually, from, you know, the Chinese Students Associations. And even, oh, yeah, I lived through the same, same time. Still? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the yes, Asian American. Yeah. So, so it's kind of important to me that my children, you know, participate or at least feel welcome to participate in those. And it's just not a priority for them at all like they don't I think they they know who their family is you know that hasn't been any cause for shame or them trying to hide it or you know but um I think they just sort of whatever like the, the rest of society doesn't see it for them they're, they're not Asian at all Rola at all. when you take your children to like TAF or uh, Taiwanese American camps do they do you recall anything that they've said about whether they feel <laughs> not welcomed or do they, uh, or that they're not Taiwanese enough? Is there anything? Oh, yeah. Any no, but yeah, everybody thinks they're not Taiwanese. Like the kids, no, nobody can, you know, recognize them. They're always just like, what are you doing here? Like, are you Taiwanese? You know? Oh, wow. Really? They actually say that outright? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think they're being rude. I think they're just like, oh, are you just being kids? They're just curious. They Mm -hmm. they don't think that they're Taiwanese (laughs) because they're they think the same. You know, they only know what society, you know, the rest of society knows. And that's how the rest of society perceives them. Um, I honestly I do think that there's space being held for the fact that they're they're my kids just because of, you know, the involvement that, you know, that I've had in the community over the years, over the decades, you know. So people are they they know these are Rola's kids and so but amongst the older, you know, generation there's no issue there because the identity my my kids' identity is like, oh, those are Rola's kids and everybody knows, you know, who Rola is. But amongst the 
the campers, there's no real recognition that they look Taiwanese at all. Um, but but that doesn't mean that they're rude or that they're unfriendly, you know? Like, like I said in the answer earlier, you know, everyone's polite and it's not violent, you know? Really, when it comes down to it, it's not violent. And, and I think, I mean, that's what your biggest concern is, right? Our, our concern with having yeah. children is But then that, there's also the microaggressions that mm. uh, sometimes can be, it would add up, you know? Yeah. For example, so, my neighbor saying like, oh, your husband doesn't even sound black. You know those little things. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, yeah, I would say though with the microaggressions, my strategy of kind of saying I don't want to say it, but you know that I think you can, you know, that's sort of like oh well, I know who I am kind of strategy when it comes to microaggressions. I think that would could be a very effective um, uh, counter lesson, probably to just like look, I am who I am and. It doesn't matter who you think I am. Um, and if you don't see me, that's your problem, not mine. That that works with microaggressions. I, I wouldn't say that that works, though, with uh, the violence, right? Well, you have to be really aware of it to, like, nip it in the bud right away, for sure. True. Yeah. True. And, and it's one of those things that you don't even know. I mean, I catch myself all the time right now doing things. I, I think right now part of it is just like me getting old. You know, my brain isn't uh, – you had a question about being hyper aware. And, like, it's just – but it's terrible. I feel awful afterwards because it's like all of my um, subconscious biases come out right now. And and I think that when I was more, con my, um, when my brain was a little bit sharper, <laughs> you know, at another time, um, I was better at least about not letting them come out <laughs> because I could catch myself in time. But now I'm just like, stuff just comes out and I'm just like, God, Rola, you didn't really say that. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like, wow. Well, happening all the time now. <laughs> you know, the whole all black people look alike thing. Yeah, that's a problem. That's terrible. Like, you you know, like, we hate it when people say that about Asians. Well, I've been doing that, you know, with with people that I know. <laughs> no, I mean, not personally, not personally, but, you know, like, people, people of people that I know, you know, that I should know better. I should know better than to think that there's someone else, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's not okay. Yeah, yeah. But I've caught myself doing it twice, yeah. like, in the last... Month. Right. Yeah. Eileen and Rola, I thought it would be interesting to bring you together because Eileen, you're a, a relatively new parent and I'm sure you have a lot of concerns and especially at this time, you know, with all, all that's been going on. I want to open it to you. Do you have anything you want to um, ask Rola about? Some insider advice? Yeah, definitely. Um, I worry a lot um, and combined with the fact that I definitely feel like I'm reprogramming myself um, to one, you know, really thinking from, you know, the perspective of, of what it's like being black in America to empathizing the situation to really understanding the root problem to internalize and process everything on my own so that I can in some way um, kind of be the mother that I have set myself uh, to be. And so now that your kids are older, um, 
are you more worried about their safety or less worried um, in terms of like some of the things that we're seeing, you know, to our society, especially around police brutality? Are you, do you feel like you're building more confidence in believing that your children can handle these situations? Or do you feel like you, as they get older and as young adults, young adults that they currently are do you worry less or more so that makes me um that reminds me i think something that's relevant is that my children are also martial artists and i think that your question really is a martial artist's question basically i i don't know how to answer it but i you know like when some of these situations there's nothing you can do Right. And so I, I feel like, you know, part of martial arts is being able to be aware of your environment and to to know how really to, to move within the um, within the whole setting. And and you don't have control over everything. Yeah, well, actually, you know what, that, that's my answer. My answer is that my children are martial artists. That's all I have to say about that because... Well, for people that don't know, um, <laughs> you want to talk about their dad a little bit, why you say they're martial artists? Oh, yeah, so their dad's a martial artist, too. He has a martial arts studio, and so they've basically been training since they were two years old or three years old, and... Um, and, and they're second-degree black belts, and, and Wichang has been teaching some classes online on Zoom. Um, and Evans has also has been teaching, you know, he's been a, a, an instructor for, I don't know, maybe five, six years already. And now he's actually doing, um, he's like the captain of the, of the Taekwondo club at Northwestern. So he's also training people there. They're martial artists, and you just have to know when to fight, and you got to be aware of your surroundings. Um, I worry. I worry so much that I don't worry because you can't. Like, if I think about it, it's there's no end to it, Eileen. <laughs> do you have any advice for me um, in terms of, like, how do I not – worry when I'm worry. worried about it. Yeah, that's why it's martial arts. Make sure she knows how to like kill somebody with her bare hands. <laughs> All right, got it. <laughs> the best defense is a good offense. Yes. <laughs> right, and that's the same thing with the whole like hyper confidence, you know, make sure that she just knows who she is, that there's nobody out there who can crush her sense of identity, you know. Oh, yes, I'm Taiwanese. Heck, yes, my father is black. I am black. I'm Malaysian. I'm Asian. You know, like, whatever. And, like, the stronger that that is, you know, then the less need there will be for her to prove it. And then also, if somebody wants to come for her, maybe she'll just be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually uh, starting to do affirmation with her as she's learning to talk. And so yeah. she probably doesn't understand what these words mean, but um, just something I kind of want to have her say it to herself. And when she's able to understand, she'll know why. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good idea. Eileen, did you have anything else you want to talk to Rola about or ask her about? Um, I think that was it. I think Rola really touched a lot of some of my questions already through her talking. And so that was the only one left uh, that I had. 
I've been speaking with Eileen Lynn Gutier and Rola Chung about parenting and raising Blasian kids. Join us next week for the second part of the conversation when Eileen will talk about the Facebook group for Taiwanese moms with Blasian kids that she's a part of and what she's learned from being a part of that group. Rola will talk about her son and daughter's cross-country road trip and the discussions that she, their father Franz, and their uncle Tim had with them about it beforehand. To learn more about my guests, Eileen and Rola, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.